It's Thursday, July 12th, and this is The Daily Dive. The execution of Scott Dozier has been halted, for now. He was set to be executed with a three-drug cocktail using fentanyl that has never been used before. But in this case, that wasn't the issue. Drug maker Alvagen sued to block the use of a sedative they make called midazolam. Chris Cudialis, reporter for the Las Vegas Sun, joins us to discuss why a judge sided with the drug company to stop the execution of Scott Dozier. Next, President Trump is in Brussels for a big NATO summit. Always one to stir the pot, the president called out Germany for going into business with Russia and also demanded higher military spending by allies. Greg Hellman, defense reporter for Politico, joins us to talk about how much money our NATO allies are spending on defense and also the next big meeting President Trump will have, a face-to-face with Putin. Finally, are you afraid of needles? Do you find yourself getting nervous when it's time to take your medicine? Mike Fibus, health tech analyst, joins us to talk about some of the cool new alternatives startups are exploring to deliver treatments pain-free. One of them includes taking a pill that dissolves in your body and then gives you a shot. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. How do you feel about the state using fentanyl to kill you? I think it's awesome. I mean, it's killing people all over the place. You guys get pharmaceutical-grade fentanyl and just bang me up, man. He's a shit ton. Joining us now is Chris Cudialis, reporter for the Las Vegas Sun. Thank you very much for joining us, Chris. There was an interesting thing that happened yesterday. A Las Vegas judge halted an execution of Scott Dozier. It was going to be the first time that they used a different three-drug cocktail that included fentanyl, but that really wasn't the drug that was at issue the company that makes the sedative midazolam was suing to get the execution stopped. What was the case there? Well, Oscar, Alvagen, producer of midazolam, told the Nevada Department of Corrections and the reason they were in court yesterday was they did not know until this week or last week when the drug cocktail was released by the Nevada Department of Corrections that their product was being used in the execution. Their attorney for the case, uh, Mr. Todd Bice said that if they had known that in advance back when the drugs were purchased in May, that they wouldn't have made the sale in the first place. And how that works is the Nevada Department of Corrections purchased the drug from a third-party distributor, Cardinal Health, here in Nevada, therefore skirting, if you will, Alvagen. And that's how they were able to obtain the drug without Alvagen knowing One of the interesting things about it, though, is kind of the reasonings that they gave. It really sounded like using our drug for executions is bad for business. We don't want to be associated with this. Um, They even cited a bunch of other, quote unquote, botched executions where they used midazolam. And they said, we don't, you know, our drug is not designed for this. Correct. Yes. And, And that's like you said, they cited mostly the business aspect of it. There wasn't a whole lot of moral implications that were in, referred to more so than the company just doesn't want their name, their brand associated with execution. In fact, Mr. Tice said that the products are designed to do exactly the opposite of that. It's used in anesthesia to help patients relax and hopefully have successful pain-free surgeries. So the, the goal of uh, Alvagen in this case was just to remove their name from capital punishment, execution, and the bad PR, if you will, that comes along with that. Yeah. I mean, there's even another lawsuit going on in Tennessee uh, with a bunch of death row inmates where they're saying specifically, we don't want midazolam being used because of these other quote unquote botched executions. And they have witnesses to all these other executions where they're saying that, you know, people were 
uh, grimacing. They were writhing with pain. They were gasping for air and, and still going on to really the argument that uh, the makers of midazolam were using is that it's a sedative. It's not designed to fully put somebody under. It's not designed to be the lead off in a three cocktail drug to do this. Let's take a step back real quick. Who is Scott Dozier? Why is he on death row? Scott Dozier has been on death row now for almost 11 years after being convicted in 2007 for the murder of uh, 22-year-old Jeremiah Miller here in Nevada. Uh, the story was Dozier was a methamphetamine dealer back at the time, had Miller working for him, and, and during a exchange, shot Miller, was convicted of uh, cutting his body up, dismembering it, and dumping it in a, a wastebasket, a dumpster, um, and he was convicted of that in 2007. The crime happened in 2002. Also convicted in Arizona of murdering a man there, Jason Green, and dumping his body out in a desert. So convicted for two murders, and uh, yeah, he's been in death row for uh, over 10 years now. Yeah, and he's, uh, I mean, a, a lot of these guys are interesting in their own right. Uh, he's been the subject of a couple of Vice articles and, and interviews that they've televised on HBO and whatnot. He's one of these guys that is known as a quote unquote volunteer. He didn't want to have any more appeals to his uh, his case or anything like that. And so he's basically giving up his right to live now. He wants to die. He's said as much. And even being executed with a fentanyl, he's like, just bang me up, man. Give me a ton of it. That's why this particular case is so interesting because he's not even fighting for his own life anymore. It's the fight that the drug makers don't want to have their drug being used in it. There's so many other things at play. Uh, the ACLU here in Nevada is working very hard to get as much information as they can regarding Department of Correction procedures, communications between state officials, anything that they can to promote transparency. And obviously the ACLU a group that is against the death penalty in general. But you mentioned, Oscar, the fact that Scott Dozier voluntarily said that he wants to be executed. He waived his rights in October 2016 to petition and to, to protest that. Of the 12 Nevadans that have been executed since 1979, only one of them has not given up their right to appeal. So even though the death penalty exists here in Nevada, you have hundreds of inmates on death row. And the only way essentially that these people uh, will be executed as state law kind of goes is if they waive their right to an appeal. And even then, as we're seeing with Dozier, it's very difficult to make it happen because he's made clear now for almost two years his intent to die and his wish to do so to be put to death. Yeah, it's really interesting. And this wave, as we were saying, you know, this case right now isn't even happening on moral grounds. It's very much a business thing. And there's more and more of these drug makers that don't want their drugs used. They're not supplying them to states and states supplies of these drugs are running out. So they're turning to different forms and different drug cocktails. That's why they were going to try fentanyl this time. So it's just an interesting case. And I think they put it on hold now until September in the meantime, you have this inmate who wants to die. He, he doesn't care about it anymore. Yeah, and he had his family waiting up there at the execution chamber today, planning on seeing him. So not that that really, in the grand scheme yeah. of things, yeah. should matter on, on the big scale. But yeah, a lot of folks, media, people in the community expecting that to happen today. Chris Cudialis, reporter for the Las Vegas Sun. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Oscar. 
We're supposed to protect you against Russia, but they're paying billions of dollars to Russia, and I think that's very inappropriate. And the former chancellor of Germany is the head of the pipeline company that's supplying the gas. Joining us now is Greg Hellman, defense reporter for Politico. So the president is over in Brussels right now for the big NATO summit. I think a lot of people get a little nervous when the president makes these foreign trips. They just don't know how he's going to act in front of a lot of our allies. And true to form, (laughs) the president caused another stir. Right off the bat, he got there, criticized NATO for a lot of the defense spending. And then he also took a crack at Germany. What happened? This was heading into the NATO breakfast that occurred on Wednesday morning. He made a reference to uh, the fact that uh, Germany, in his eyes, isn't spending enough on defense, and also referred to the fact that uh, they are buying oil, constructing a pipeline that would uh, bring Russian oil to their country. Caused quite the kerfuffle here. Since that point, it seems like the president has somewhat walked back at least the tone of those comments. Yeah, he had a follow-up meeting with Angela Merkel, and they said, oh, we have a great relationship, tremendous. But I don't think a lot of people would disagree with the logic that the president had. He had criticized NATO members for not spending a lot of money on defense. They had come to an agreement in 2014 to spend 2% of their GDP to defense spending, and Mm -hmm. really only five countries have met that, uh, the U.S., Greece, the U.K., Estonia, and Poland. And Germany's way down on the list with like 1.24% of their GDP there. And the reasoning behind this, he, uh, Germany went into a deal with Russia so that they can get this pipeline for gas, for natural gas. It's called the Nord 2 pipeline. The criticism is there. Said, We're spending a lot of money to protect you from this particular country even. And then you're going into, de- into a deal with them. So I know a lot of people uh, on our side called the, you know, he said that Germany was being controlled and a lot of people were saying it was embarrassing that he was treating them that way, but they aren't spending as much money on defense and they are going into this deal with Russia. The knock on the president from some critics over here in the U.S. isn't necessarily that his message is wrong. Uh, Administrations going back to uh, President Eisenhower have tried to get European allies spend more on defense and militaries. I think where some of the criticism originates is the tone he he takes and and the words he uses. President Trump speaks a little bit unlike any other president that the uh, U.S. has had, at least in, in recent memory. So when he makes comments like NATO is obsolete or other comments criticizing some of our allies over in Europe, it's the way he phrases it that I think concerns a lot of policymakers here in Washington. Specifically, what have uh, lawmakers here in the states said about his comments? For example, you've got a, you've got a resolution that passed the uh, House expressing support for NATO and, and kind of went into details. You had a statement from 44 Democratic lawmakers on the uh, House Armed Services and House Foreign Affairs Committee warning Trump, hey, we don't want you bad-mouthing our NATO allies when you go into these negotiations with Putin that are going to occur on Monday. Don't put exercises, military exercises on the table during those talks, as he seemed to have done following the talks with Kim Jong-un. There's a lot of fear or concern, I should say, rather, that the president might scale back our presence over in Europe at a time when Russia seems seems to be becoming more assertive. After the NATO summit, the president heads to the UK. He's going to reportedly meet with the queen. And then, as you were saying, the big meeting after that is with Vladimir Putin. What's on the agenda for that meeting? 
I don't know that there has been an official uh, agenda announced for what exactly their talks are going to encompass, but I think you can make some uh, pretty uh, educated guesses that, uh, that a few issues are going to come up. NATO defense posture, obviously uh, one of them. The sanctions that the uh, U.S. has imposed on Russia. Also, we expect for the uh, Russian role in Syria to come up during those talks. The, the president has made statements in the past about wanting to scale back our involvement in that country. It's possible he might ask President Putin to alter their role in exchange for a drawdown or try to influence Iran uh, in that country. Also very important, Russia's role in uh, Ukraine and Crimea. Right. Although I, I think I heard reports earlier that they said that that was the one thing that they're going to should be off the table, that they're going to not try to talk about. But definitely an important issue still. Greg Hellman, defense reporter for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. All right. Thanks for having me, Oscar. So you hold it in your hand and direct it into the skin. And what it does is shoots a very hair-thin, high-intensity stream that delivers the drug through the skin. Joining us now is Mike Fibus, health tech analyst and columnist for USA Today. So we're going to talk about people that are afraid of needles and uh, what a lot of startups are doing to work on alternatives for that. I was reading your article and I saw a really interesting number. As many as one in four Americans are afraid of needles. And I'm not necessarily afraid of needles. I kind of get that needle anxiety, though. I worried about what's going to happen up until it does, and then I'm fine. But tell us a little bit more about that. Count me in there, too. Hypodermic needles are something of a double-edged sword, if you'll pardon the pun. And on the one hand, there's tens of millions of injections given daily around the world. And on the other hand, as many as one in four of us are uh, anxious, count me in there as well, Oscar. About one in 10 actually exhibit what they call a vasovagal response. That is basically fainting. Yeah, I mean, that's on the extreme level. Even in surveys, they say uh, people's fear of needles or getting shots comes in close to that uh, 25%. It's a 21%. And it makes it the sixth most prevalent fear in the country behind spiders and insects. To me, that it just sounds kind of funny, kind of interesting that uh, people hate these things so much. Personally, I would rather see a, an insect than a needle. <laughs> it's a big issue, and it's not just a comfort issue. You know, there are people who don't get the care they deserve, or need, rather, because, you know, because they're avoiding needles. Sometimes there's a stigma attached. You know, if you've got chronic diabetes, for example, the last thing you want to do is pull out your test kit and syringe right. at the dinner table with friends. But, you know, it's what you need to do. It's, it's designed to slow the progress of your condition. And if, if you don't take care of it, well, you'll end up sicker. So it leads us into our discussion today. A lot of startups and uh, medical device companies are trying to figure out what to do for people that don't like needles and just even for everybody else, make it a little bit safer. Theranos was one of those people that was in the news because they were trying to revolutionize the way people did blood tests. And you'd only need to take one blood test, a simple prick, basically. It wasn't going to be this whole long process. And well, we know the story of them now. They uh, had a spectacular fall. But what are some of the other technologies that people are working on right now? Theranos is a good point. And people are so adverse to needles that Theranos, besides potentially uh, fraudulent case there, it's still pulling in plenty of money because we need to find an alternative. 
there are a couple, not not on the uh, blood drawing side, but on the drug delivery side that are finding ways to deliver the medicine without without actually having to poke through the skin. Yeah, the first one that I thought is really interesting and almost seems kind of like uh, out of a movie even is uh, the Rainy Pill. Ronnie, yeah, the, the, the Ronnie Ron, Pill. The Ronnie Pill, uh, okay. from, from Ronnie Therapeutics. It's a very interesting contraption, isn't it? This class of drugs is called biologics and it breaks down, you know, when it gets into the acidic stomach, which is rendering it ineffective. Rather than going through the skin, it has a it, sort of a space capsule that manages to get through the the acid of the stomach and then starts to break down in the higher alkaline area in the intestines. When it breaks down, there's inside unfolds a something of a balloon that presses a needle with with the drug into your small intestine. And you don't feel that because there's really no need for sharp pain re- receptors in in the intestines there on the skin. Yeah, that one is so interesting. Tiny micro needle punctures you. After that, it just kind of breaks down and the body flushes away with whatever's left of it. So that one is pretty cool. What other ones? There's another one, uh, uh, something coming out made by Portal Instruments as well. It actually does go through the skin, but it's a very precise, high-tech instrument. So you hold it in your hand and direct it into the skin. And what it does is shoots a very hair-thin, high-intensity stream that delivers the drug through the skin. So you do feel it. It's not sensation-free, but in their studies, 90-plus percent of the people prefer the idea of a liquid penetrating the skin to their needle. So they're they're pretty up for it. I think in your article it said 450 mile per hour stream of liquid, (laughs) which sounds crazy also. But yeah, when it's happening so fast, you're really not going to feel it as much. And the delivery system is very high tech. It will not inject, so to speak, unless it's on the right spot. So you can't accidentally they poke your eye out with a 450 mile hour jet. (laughs) Right. Another big sector where things like this would be very valuable are for people with diabetes, as you were saying earlier. What are some of the things coming down the pike for that? There's a very intriguing patch that's coming out of some university work in North Carolina by an outfit called Xenomics. And what's interesting about that is it's basically an artificial pancreas. It's a closed loop system. So it it is not only delivering insulin through microneedles, but it's also testing through the skin glucose levels. So it knows when to deliver the glucose. It's impressive. Now you can also get your insulin through an inhaler as well. Unlike Xenomics, which is a hope for the future, there is one that's out today. It's called Afraza from a company called, ironically, Mankind. And as technology uh, keeps getting better and better, uh, all those people that hate needles, there will be a lot more alternatives for everybody. So that's some good stuff. Mike Fibus, health tech analyst, columnist for USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Oscar. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.